we continue with the holiness of God. We've seen that holiness means to be separate, divided, apart. And we saw that in its most elementary sense. God is divided from us, separate from us, in that he is life in himself. No man gives him life, he is it. But all other receive life from him. So he is self-existent. He exists out of himself. You exist out of him. Okay? Now, he who is life in himself contains everything. Think about this. You cannot give to God anything that he hasn't already given to you. Right? You say, I'm going to give God my life. Big deal. <laughs> Who gave you your life? Uh, again, in America, we find this very difficult to readily appreciate, especially if you come from the Pentecostal or Baptist area, where we're ever being told God needs your money. And they're taking missionary offerings as if God was going into bankruptcy. Uh, and, and the whole thing is God needs it. Now think about this very carefully, that if God is completely self-contained, self-sufficient, God does not need anything. Why do I need something? It's because I don't have it. Right? If there is something God doesn't have, then he is not perfect. Right? God doesn't need anything. He is all things in himself. And anything that I give to God, I only give that which he has already given to me. Our motives for giving are another subject, uh, not to be handled here. But just enough to say that God is self-sufficient. And sufficiency needs absolutely nothing. The moment you speak of anything that needs something or needs someone, you are speaking immediately of a creature. All creatures need someone, and all creatures need God. But God needs no one and nothing. You got that? All creatures need another creature, and all creatures need God, who himself needs no one and nothing. He is sufficient in himself. So he is life in himself, no one gave him life. He is sufficient in himself, no one supplies a need that he has. So I can be forced to do something. An outside pressure can be made to bear upon me based upon a need I have the pressure upon me fills that need and I do something. Or I feel a lack of wisdom and you come along with all of your wisdom and bear pressure of your wisdom on me and I feel how unwise I am and I listen to you and I do it because you told me. I needed your wisdom. Or I feel so weak and helpless in a situation and you come along with such power, strength, ability, and I yield to your pressure and let your power be expressed into my need because I needed you. There is no pressure 
that is ever applied upon God. For God needs nothing. I cannot apply any pressure of wisdom or power. I cannot even make God pity me. God doesn't need to love anybody. He's perfectly self-contained. Now some of you look utterly horrified at that. But think about this. If God needed to love someone in order to complete himself, then you, the people he loves, must be part of God. Does that make sense? God didn't need to love you. And need love is a sick kind of love. If any of you have been loved with a need love, it's a clingy kind of love. It's not a love that says, I give myself to you. It's a love that says, come here, I need someone to love. And you suddenly feel you don't want to be loved. God doesn't need to love. No one can exert pressure on him, whether it be the pressure of you ought to do this, or whether it be the pressure of here I am, you need to love me. God didn't need to create a universe. I, I read a, a book the other day which... Generally speaking, it's a good book, but it began by saying that God was lonely and he needed to create a universe and man in order to have fellowship. A God who needed to create a world was an incomplete God. And therefore, when he created the world, it completed him, therefore the world is part of him. Right? You see that? No, God doesn't need anything. He's life in himself, he is sufficiency in himself, and no one can pressure him, and no one can say, I will complete him. The only pressure that is applied upon God to do anything is the pressure of who he is. Why does he love me? Not because he needs to love me, or not because I call forth pity from him, but because God is love. The pressure on God is not me, it's him. That's the way he is. He is ever giving. As I said, God didn't need to create the universe. He did so because it pleased him. He didn't need to. And we shall come back to that in a few hours' time with much greater explanation. But right now we're trying to establish what is that gulf fixed between that which is God and that which is man. God has life in himself. God is sufficient in himself. Man derives life from God. Man is totally dependent, doesn't have a thing in himself, needs others, needs God. But those words and those ideas can never be applied to God. You said, and you mean to say he doesn't need me? Sorry, but that's true. I know it's very threatening to suddenly discover that God didn't need you. Um, I remember when I first entered the ministry... Uh, it was the it was the peak of arrogance, uh, and I mean the mercy of God accepted me. But I remember I was about 15 years old, and they were singing a song which mercifully has dropped out of our hymn books over the last years. But the song, the first verse is, "We are coming, we are coming to the help of Judah's king." Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the back row of the auditorium, and I rose to my feet and marched forward to the help of God. I mean, He needed me. And here I come, God, you can relax. Malcolm has arrived. You know, here I come. 
It was years later I discovered that any relationship that God has with me is a relationship He chose to have, not in order to fulfill a need within Him. And if you think about that for a while, you will realize that it's far greater than needing me. God doesn't need me, but He chose to want me. And when I consider this God that we are seeking to consider, the fact that He chose to want me when He didn't need me makes that relationship a far more glorious and beautiful relationship than ever it was before. Now, think about that. The whole, what we've just said. He exists in Himself. Life in Himself. He's all sufficient in Himself. God derives life from no one. Therefore, he doesn't belong to anybody. Right? You belong to God because you get your life from him. Whether you like it or not. Right? God, who is life, doesn't belong to anyone. You, in order to be normal, have to be for God. That's where you came from. But if God is forever himself, coming from no one, then he's just for himself. Do you follow that? didn't say, do you understand it? I said, do you follow it? There's nobody greater he can belong to, is there? There's no one greater than he can be for. He is himself. He's of himself. He's for himself. He doesn't belong to anybody else, therefore he possesses himself. You, whether you like it or not, belong to God. Because that's where your life came from. That's where your ultimate needs are supplied. God doesn't have a need. He's life in himself. He belongs to himself. And hold this one. He loves himself and he delights in himself because there's no one more perfect that could be loved or delighted in. Do you follow what I mean? Even among men, there is that which in us cries to delight in that which is the most perfect. A craftsman who makes something that is so beautiful will usually tell you it's not perfect yet. There's a delight in him that reaches for perfection. But in God we have come to ultimate perfection. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything else. He's total sufficiency in himself. There's no one higher that he can delight in but himself. All creatures are called upon to love God. For there's none higher to love. But who does God love? Himself. God loves himself and delights in himself. You say, that sounds very proud. God is for himself, belongs to himself, possesses himself, loves himself, delights in himself. That sounds proud. I had a problem with that for years, incidentally, of a God who demanded of us that we keep telling him he's so great. And I, and I, I had a real problem with that. Until I realized that pride is something that only creatures are capable of. 
if you say that I am for myself, I belong to myself, I love me, I delight in me, you are guilty of the highest sin a creature is capable of. Because you're not for yourself, you belong to God. You're not your possession, you're God's possession. To delight in yourself is to delight in something that is very much less than perfect. And to love yourself is to love something which is very much less than perfect. We call that pride. But when we come to God, what we call pride among creatures is the rightest thing for God. Do, do you see what I'm trying to say? Egoism is right for God. He's the only perfect. If he's life in himself, he's got to be for himself. If he wasn't, he would be denying who he was. Right? Of course he belongs exclusively to himself if he is himself with derivation from no one. Right? And so holiness, in one sense, life in himself, sufficiency in himself, means that God is for himself, is possessed for himself, loves and delights in himself. He exists wholly of himself, in himself, for himself. Now, supposing I say we're going to say you're a holy people. We take this gang right here and say this section, you are a holy people. What does that mean? It means we're setting you apart from that bunch over there. They're mere Gentiles. We're, we're going to take you people. And you are going to be for God. You are going to belong to God. You are going to love God and delight in Him. You are going to exist wholly for Him. For God to be holy, He is for Himself. For you to be holy, you're for him. For God to be holy, he belongs to himself. For you to be holy, you belong to God. For God to be holy is to delight in himself and to love himself. For you to be holy is to love God and delight in him. Do you see that? So, when they said a pot was holy, or water was holy, or a place was holy, they simply meant this part is for God. This part is separated, it's God's. And so it was called holy, separated unto God. For God to be holy, it meant he was separated to himself. Do you follow me? You know, just a little bit? Yeah. See, God made my body... The only right thing I can do with my body is give it back to who made it. If God made my brain, the only right thing I can do is give it back to him who made it. My spirit was made to fellowship with God. The only thing I can do is yield that spirit back to God. All comes from him, all is for him, all must return to him. So the Holy One made all things for whom all things are. And as I return it to him, I am called a holy person. Now, that doesn't mean up to that point that I'm pure, right, 
spiritual. It just means I've been set apart to God. And all the high priests of Israel wore on their crown the sign, Holiness unto the Lord. But you know some of those high priests, like Caiaphas, Annas, they were all high priests and they all wore it, holiness to the Lord. They were men set apart to God. They were very far from being pure, morally right, very far from it. They crucified Jesus. But they were men set apart to God. You, you see the difference? Israel was called a holy nation. I could look in their history and you could have fooled me. If I thought it spoke to their moral character. They were far from it. But they were a nation who had been taken from all other nations. And God says, you're mine. Okay. So in its first meaning, holy means separated. If we're talking of God, he's separated to himself. There's none like him. If it's us, we're separated to him. Right. Now, if you understand that, please nod up and down. Okay. I don't want to go too fast for you. But now, take that one step more to its secondary meaning, that he who is life, and he who is sufficiency in himself, he is the standard, the absolute of his universe. What is right? What is right? Uh, don't give me the Ten Commandments. That tells me what right people are supposed to do. What is it? God is it. He's life. He's sufficiency. He is right. That life that is the life of all that is created is what we call right. See, God doesn't obey any rules. You ever thought about that? He is the rules. So the Ten Commandments or any idea of being right isn't something outside of God that he obeys them and therefore he's right. He is it. He is his own rules. You see what I mean by that? What are those rules in a word? It's a love that ever gives itself. When God wanted to tell us what he was like, he said he was a lamb as it had been slain. A lamb that had given itself. I don't think there's a greater picture of God in the whole Bible than a lamb on a throne as it had been slain. And I've said many times, a lamb, I mean on a natural level, what is a lamb? A lamb presents itself to a man and says, are you cold? Shear me, take my wool and make yourself a garment. And I think I've shared with most of you um, the story in Reader's Digest a few years ago of the slaughterer. And he says he always felt a heel when it came to slaughtering a lamb. He said every other animal fought as it came into the slaughterhouse. But a lamb walked in, presented itself to the slaughterer as if to say, Are you hungry? Kill me. Eat me. I'm here for the human race. And he said he could never happily slaughter a lamb because it presented itself for death. And of all animals, when God said to the human race, this is what I'm like, he said, I'm a lamb as it had been slain. 
God comes to the human race and says, Are you naked? Do you need righteousness? Take my righteousness. Are you hungry? Is there an emptiness within you? Kill me. Eat me. Do you need someone to die for your sin? Here I am. God presents himself to the human race. Ever giving. Ever giving. Hell is ever grasping. Heaven ever gives. And if you look at the whole law that is put among men, the Ten Commandments, Paul says the whole law is summed up in this. Love. It's a stern love as we're going to see in a few hours time, but it's love. It's love. And God is holy, that is, he is the rules. His life is the absolute by which we are creatures judge right as opposed to wrong, truth as opposed to lies, darkness as opposed to light. God is light. He is what light is. Anything that is in him is darkness. He is what life is. Anything opposed to him is death. He is what truth is. Anything opposed to him is lies. He is what rightness is. Anything opposed to him is sin. Do you see what I'm saying? Therefore that is when holiness comes to mean that secondary meaning of everything that is absolutely right and pure. So God is set apart. He is utterly different from everything that he made. And he is also set apart from everything that is unlike him, sin. He's utterly opposed to it. And that's why holiness is called beautiful. You look at creation, look at you, and born into every man is the knowledge that God is right. And when man does something against that knowledge of God, he gets what we call a bad conscience. That is, something says, you're wrong. We go all out of harmony. The puzzle doesn't fit anymore. It's not beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. It all fits. Right? Unselfishness fits. It fits the leaves on the tree and it fits you into the universe where you belong, your neighbor, everybody just fits. And God in all of that for the whole creation rising to God just like they should. It all fits. The Holy One and the Holy People fits. It's the beauty of God. The word holy is taken from an old English word. Um, and it, it, we, we even use the word today. Um, I think you do. Uh, a, a, a real rosy red apple. Have you ever said that's a whole apple? Never use that expression? W-H-O-L-E. Okay, well you don't come from England. You wouldn't know about that. But a whole apple means it's sound. There's no maggots in it. There's no bruises on it. It's whole. In fact, you've got the word in the Bible, as well as in England. Um, it's, it's, uh, Jesus Christ makes you whole, right? Healthy, well, radiant with health, whole. And W-H-O-L-E gradually formed into H-O-L-Y. Whole, holy. Holy is a word that is derived from an old English word which means health, healthy. God is the health 
of the universe. He is its radiant life. The person who knows I derive my life from God, I derive all my needs supplied from God who needs nothing, and God is the standard by which I conform, he's right, and I do as he says, that person is totally healthy, whole. A universe that is aligned to God, fitting in with God, is whole, it's healthy. Perfect balance. Everything fits, it's right. Now what's sin? Sin is simply defying the Holy One. Sin, in a sense, says, I don't depend on God, I depend on me. If God is life in himself and I'm as a creature, depend on him? No, sister, I don't depend on him. Every sinner really in their heart believes they depend on themselves for life. You remember before you were born again, you acted as if you were going to live forever. Life is in me. Other people die, I don't. I heard the other day of someone who was asked, what's going to happen when it comes your turn to die? And their honest opinion was, by the time I come to die, science will have fixed that. <laughs> they really believed it. I'm a person who never really dies. You know, Life is in me. You remember the, the, the temptation of Satan to the first pair was, you shall be as God. You shall be, you'll have life in yourself. So that God isn't life, I am. Which means God isn't the absolute by which I judge right and wrong, I am. If I think it's right, it's right. If I think it's wrong, it's wrong. See, basically, for man to be a sinner is to defy the fact that God is holy. It is for man to say, I am independent. I do my thing. I am the center from which all flows. I am the vortex of creation. Me. Whereas we've established in the last hour and a half, I hope, that God is the center. God is the vortex. God is the only independent one. And all creation can only be normal as it flows back to God. Sin simply says, everything must flow to me. I'm the center. I'm the vortex. I'm the meaning. Me. And therefore, if you really want to look at sin in one sense, sin, or a sinner, is a person who says, I'm holy. Right? Only God can say he's holy. And a sinner says, oh no, I am. I'm independent. I don't need you. I don't need God. I am sufficient in myself. I'm my own list of rules. I do as I please. And there's only one person who can say those three things, and that's God. He's holy. And a sinner is a person who says, oh no, I am. Sin is defying the Holy One. Now, if God is the only one who is right, if God is the absolute by which all are judged, if He is life, as we've said, for me to defy Him places me in the opposite of life death and death as the Bible understands it is to oppose the Holy One death is not that which happens to your physical body at the end of what we call life 
death in the Bible always means the opposition of me to the Holy One. For his life, to oppose him, is death. And you're still very much alive in body, but you are in a state called death. He is light. That is, when everything is right, when he is who he is in your mind, and you are aligned to him as you should be aligned, you'll see things as they really are. Or, God is light. Right? In the light you see things. To be opposed to him is to have a fracture. You're no longer aligned to light. So where are you? The truth is that only God is holy, and I rise up and say, but I am, then you are living in the biggest lie anyone ever lived in. Because you're not. And so sin is called living in the lie, living in deceit, the darkness of the lie. Now, you realize what that means, don't you? Supposing I sin against my friend here. I tell her a lie. If I come and say, I have sinned, I hurt her. You really want to get down to it, that's not repentance. So I hurt her. Didn't I do anything else? Oh yes, I hurt me. Oh, poor me, I feel so bad about it. If only she hadn't have found out I lied. <laughs> I feel so bad about me. But that isn't repentance. I mean, isn't there anything more? Sin is not to be defined as defying my friend. Sin is not to be defined as defying me. Sin is defying God. And until I have seen that sin, whatever level it's at, sin is defying the holiness of God which we have established is God himself. It is rising up against the Godhood of God and saying, No, me. Now when I do that, I'll hurt her, I'll hurt you, I'll hurt me. But if you understand me, that's not the point. I rose up against the life of the universe himself and said, not you, me. And until I understand holiness, I haven't really understood the nature of sin. So the classic quote in Psalm 51, David had taken his next-door neighbor's wife and committed adultery with her. Then he'd called her husband from the front lines of battle. And when the man wouldn't cooperate, he sends the man back to in front of the front lines to make sure it would be murder. He murdered the man through his generals. And then he takes the next-door neighbor to be his wife. And for one year he lived in that, and Nathan the prophet came, you remember, told him the story. And David then wrote Psalm 51 in there. Do you remember what he said? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband Uriah. He sinned against the nation. He hurt himself. But he said against thee and thee only have I sinned. And I cannot properly come to my friend and ask her forgiveness until I understand that really it was against God. That's why it hurt her. Only because it was against God. 
Why was the relationship between us two all out of whack? Why was the discord? Because I was out of harmony with the beauty of holiness. Therefore, I was out of harmony with everybody. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Now, holiness isn't merely that God loves himself because he is life in himself. It isn't merely that he loves what we call righteousness because he is the rules himself. The opposite is true too. He doesn't only love his life, he hates everything that is against it. You follow me? It would be possible to say that God loves his life and leave it at that. But the Bible has a negative and a positive. He not only loves his life, he hates everything that is opposed to it. He doesn't only love rightness, he hates all sin. And if you think about it, it has to be that. I say think about it. We are so used to unrighteousness and unholiness, and I speak to us in this auditorium, that we almost side with sinners over this. I mean, when did we really expect to be told the truth? I mean, really, seriously. Maybe you're more naive than me. But our expectancy is so jaded. When you read of lying in the newspaper, do you turn a hair anymore? When you hear on the news a whole list of things that are going wrong, I don't mean the big violent crimes, I mean just the everyday things that are hardly worth reporting anymore. Do you really bother? I mean, really. Aren't we so used to it? And here I come along and say, if there's one infringement against God, if there's the smallest departure from Him who is right, then God hates it. It's just a minute. You, know, you really have to go that far. You see what I'm trying to say? We're so used to unholiness that holiness makes us bug-eyed. But God, in His holiness, not only loves righteousness, He hates all unrighteousness. Why? If what we have said is true, sin is to oppose His life. Right? Do you, do you follow me on that? Then what is the ultimate of sin? What does sin really want? It wants to kill God. If God's life, if God in His being, in His, in his isness, He just is, if in His life He is righteousness, utter, absolute, immovable righteousness, if I don't want that, then I want to do the opposite. I oppose that. I don't want him there. Sin, in its essence, is rising up to kill God. To destroy his life. Which, of course, is impossible, but that's what sin wants. And that means, if God doesn't deal with sin, sin has won. Against God's life. Sin is not directed merely against the glory of God. It's against the life of God. His holiness. If God did not hate sin, 
he would hate himself for sin seeks to destroy him do you see what I mean? it will be self-destruction in God for God to allow sin for sin is simply the opposite it is the rising up against God it's the enemy of his own nature can I tell you a very sad story and yet I don't know a better one when I was in the cancer hospital with my own problems there the man in the bed opposite me had to have his leg amputated because it was full of cancer and all night long before his leg was amputated he cried kept us all awake all night and all he would keep crying was I don't want to lose my leg and somebody shouted from the other end of the ward if you don't lose your leg you'll lose you we all had cancer in the ward and that rather cruel expression was quite acceptable in that ward we knew where we stood I thought about that I don't want to lose my leg and the voice that said if you don't lose your leg you'll lose you now think of the whole creation can I say as the body of God that's only by illustration I'm not saying the creation is the body of God but by way of illustration the whole creation is God's body and there appears in God's body cancer for what is cancer? Cancer is a cell in my body that doesn't want to obey the life pattern of my body. It wants to be my body all by itself. And that cancer, called sin, rose within the universe. A universe which is the embodiment of God in my illustration. How does God handle that? Does God say, we'll love sinners? that's what my friend across the ward was saying I love my leg ah my friend but to keep your leg you die if God had said I love the creation I'll wink at sin it's self-destruction for sin is opposed to the very life the holiness of God do you see what I mean now therefore if God is going to love sinners it must be with holy love a stern love a love that cannot just say I love you let's forget about sin God cannot forget about sin it is opposed to his nature if God loves me he's got to deal with the sin at the same time holy love and so you find in the Bible an expression a jealous God Have you ever read that in the Bible he's a jealous God Exodus 20 verse 5 Exodus 34 verse 14 Joshua 24 verse 19 Deuteronomy 424 Isaiah 42 8 on and on we could go now jealousy is the right expression of love it really is if a lover moves into a house and immediately sets out in front of the husband to seduce the wife for the husband to be jealous is right jealousy is right the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage 
Now, God doesn't have an interest in the creation. The creation's his. Belongs to him. He is its life. He is its existence. He is its sustenance. That creation wouldn't be apart from him. And into that creation came sin. God declares himself a jealous God. That's my creation. And he is the only infinite right. And sin has risen and said, no, there is another infinite right. I. And God must vindicate himself. He must punish sin and yet at the same time save the leg, if you follow my illustration. Jesus told a parables that we have misconstrued. He said a, a shepherd had a hundred sheep, he lost one of them, went to find the sheep. And at least I speak for myself. For many years I preached sermons on the poor little sheep bleating in the wilderness and the, the shepherd hearing the poor bleating sheep and all for the sake of the sheep he went and found the sheep. And it occurred to me one day I've never found a shepherd that had such interest in sheep. Why did the shepherd go to find the sheep that was lost? Do you know why? Because it was his sheep. He had an interest in that sheep before he ever thought of the personal feelings of the sheep. You follow what I'm saying? You and I were lost. We were sinners in a sin-filled universe. And God in the person of Jesus Christ came to find us. Why? Because we were bleating? No! Because we belong to him by creation. And he's coming to get what belongs to him. He's a jealous God. We belong. He's coming to declare in the midst of the universe that he's right. He is the only right. And that he's going to save the leg and at the same time destroy the cancer. Ten coins, one is lost. Woman turns out house to find coin. I've preached many a sermon about the poor little coin under the chair. Oh, poor little coin under the chair. You know why she looked for the coin. It was her coin. And it was worth something to her. And this universe belonged to God and in his holiness, in his very essence, upon which the whole universe hung and belonged to him and should return to him, he came to restore to himself that which was his. And in that sense, would you understand me if I said when Jesus died and rose again, that was first of all for God before it was for man? Do you understand what I mean by that? That's a pretty heavy statement. But in the middle of the universe of men, God in Christ spoke back to God and says, you're right. Sin is wrong. You are right. Sin must be punished. And you're right in punishing sin. And I take that sin and I declare you are right as you put your damnation upon me. And Jesus declared the rightness of God's holiness. Do you follow what I mean? A little bit. And when Jesus rose again, it was declaring God had done it. He had, first of all, killed the cancer. 
Now the leg may return to him, but first of all, he had declared his holiness. Or as the Bible puts it, he glorified his name. He had stated he is who he is, and he did what he did. And when he loved, it wasn't flesh love, it was holy love. Do you follow me? And you would never be able to understand many words in the Bible without this basic understanding of holiness. We've already just seen sin. Till you understand the holiness of God, sin, well, it just hurt you or you hurt me. But now I understand sin is defying God. The wrath of God, in fact, I'm ashamed of the wrath of God. I'm embarrassed at God's anger until I understand holiness. And then I understand the anger of my life. Oh, I've said this so many times. I don't know a better way of saying it. When I had cancer in my body, I felt my life inside of me rise up in anger against the cancer in my body. And I understood the holiness of God just by being what it is rises up in anger against sin. He must oppose sin. For it is opposing his life. Now I can understand the wrath of God. I'm not embarrassed anymore. Love, I defined love by Hollywood slush until I understood holiness. And now I understand what love is. Love is God coming to get what belongs to him. He loves me not because he kind of likes me or I'm pitiful, but he loves me because I'm his and he's come to get me. And that's the way God is and so it won't change and I can trust that love. The grace of God... Until I understood holiness, grace just meant that God forgave me. But I must admit it sounded more like an amnesty. <laughs> Until I understood that God could not just forgive the leg for having cancer. That would be amnesty, the cancer is still there. Grace is not God forgiving me, it's how he forgave me. He wiped out the cancer and forgave me. Do you see what I'm trying to say? faith was positive thinking until I understood holiness and then I saw faith is simply responding to what God in his holiness has done and I realize that faith is the worship of holiness it's responding and saying God you because you are who you are had to deal with sin and yet at the same time had to restore to yourself what was yours and I say thank you you did it that's faith. Holiness is the undergirding. It is, dare I say, it's the substance of God. Understand holiness and you understand as much as humans ever will understand this side of heaven, God. And if what we've said tonight seems too big to understand, worship where you don't understand. And you will find that as we go on week after week, gradually these last two weeks will fit together and you'll see how all that we have to say about God God is spirit God is infinite God is eternal God is unchangeable God is holy and everything we have to say now fits into that context that's who he is now we'll say what he's like Amen